Let's open God's word now, looking at Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 through 26. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbour as yourself. If you bait and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. This is God's word and he gives it to us because he loves us. It's a strange phrase, walk by the Spirit, verse 16 of our passage. Walk by the Spirit. It really doesn't exist in our vocabulary. So how do we walk by the Spirit? This is the central point of Paul's argument. So how do we ourselves decipher how to live the way Paul is compelling us to? The entire book of Galatians is a fuller exposition of looking at what it is like living in the freedom we have in Christ. Paul wrote many letters, of which Galatians is one. All are written in a real time, in a real place, to real human beings who have real problems. In this letter to the churches in Galatia, Paul is contending for the true gospel. There are those in the body there, in that entire region, that say, you must follow the entire law of Moses. They would argue, you could not be a proper Christian unless you were circumcised. After all, Circumcision is the outward marking of being made separate for God, being set apart. It represents the covenants, it represents the whole law of Moses, the intermediary work of the priests, and the ethics of the Ten Commandments, just to name a few. But Paul, Paul in his letter tells all Christians, because of Christ's sacrifice on the cross, there is no need to follow the ceremonial aspects of the Israelite law. 
Whether we ourselves fall into the camp of thinking those Christians are just piously trying to serve Christ. Or whether we think they're trying to gain their own following. It really doesn't matter. What does matter, though, is the result. The problem that the true gospel of faith in Christ being the sole mode of salvation is being undermined. But we can imagine their argument, can we not? Paul has told us we must become like Christ. He himself has said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Is there a better way of honouring Christ than becoming a Jew just like Christ, who was a Jew? Christ himself would have been circumcised. This is a very practical way we can make ourselves more like Christ. However, this is a very flawed and basic interpretation. Paul doesn't just sit on the matter. He doesn't gently say, well, here's another way you can look at it if you'd like. No, he is sternly disciplining these churches. Chapter 1 and verse 6 of Galatians. I am astonished that you are doing what you are doing. Chapter 3 verse 1. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? For Paul, there is no greater problem anywhere in the church than the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ being altered. He has expertly, in the previous chapters, condemned any change to the truth of the gospel of Christ. But at this point in the letter, he's urging them not to submit to the law, but rather to walk by the Spirit. So then we return to our question, what does it mean to walk by the Spirit? Answering that question will impact how we deal with the truth of being saved yet still struggling with sin, and how we interrelate here as a community of believers. This evening, we want to grow in our understanding of what it is to walk by the Spirit by considering three points. First, looking at our inner battle verses 16 through 21. Then, we'll look at our inner change, verses 13 through 14 and 22 through 24. And finally, we'll look at there is no turning back, verses 25 and 26. Let's pray before we consider our text together. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you as our God and King. We thank you for your Spirit. We thank you for Paul's teaching. Help us to understand it. But more than that, let the Spirit himself be our teacher and our guide. And let everything we do here be for the glory and honour of your name. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Our inner battle, reading verses 16 and 17 again. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so you're not to do whatever you want. So unless this is your first day in church, and if it is your first day in church, you are very welcome. Please make yourself known. We'd love to get to know you. But unless this is your first day in church, you will know that we Christians are called to pursue holiness. The Apostle Peter states this explicitly in 1 Peter 1, 15 through 16, where he says, He, Jesus, 
who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. This quote comes from God speaking to his people through his servant Moses in Leviticus 11.44. Be holy, for I am holy. So we read that expectation, and we're likely to become one of my favourite words. Discombobulated. If you've not come across the term discombobulated, it means being confused, being distressed. When we look at our lives in the mirror, they are so far from being holy, are they not? Our actions, they're so far from being perfect, from being holy. It can send us into a tailspin where we question our very own salvation. But even in that first Peter verses that I quoted, the context is being believers in God. He is the one who has purified our souls. The holiness we have is something done for us, not something that we have done. The Bible is very clear. Our lives and our actions, they become more holy and less sinful progressively by the work of the Holy Spirit as he changes us day after day after day to become more like Christ. All this to say, because you still sin, do not read verses like 1 Peter in isolation and think, I have no hope and I have no faith. We are only holy because Christ is holy. And he has given us his righteousness. We are a people set apart as holy because we are in Christ. However, there's still this call for living in holiness, or to use Paul's language, to walk by the Spirit. But pursuing holiness is not an easy task. The Gentiles that Paul is communicating with are being asked to live a very different way very different manner from what they used to live prior to being made alive in the Spirit. Life in the Spirit is very different to what Paul calls life in the flesh. This inevitably involves conflict. We find in our passage phrases like, is contrary to and in conflict with. This is all in our battle language. St. Augustine, he was a 5th century theologian, and he's helpful in understanding why we have this inner struggle. He spoke of four states of man. First, God creates the entire world, makes everything perfect. He places man and woman in the Garden of Eden. He gives them directions. You can have anything in the garden apart from this one tree. You can't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So in that situation, man had the ability to not sin, choose not to sin, and he also had the ability to choose to sin. That was stage one. Now, if you know the biblical storyline, you know that they do choose to sin. And then we move into that second state of man, where we can only sin after the fall. Yes, we can still do good things. By common grace, God still allows people to do good things. But every good action that we have is still affected by sin. So stage one, we can choose to sin or choose not to sin. Stage two, we can only sin. Then we move into our third state. After regeneration, after accepting Christ as our Lord and Saviour, we are freed from the dominion of sin and we are free to walk by the Spirit, but we're also continually contending with the flesh. So then in stage three, we move back into a position where we can choose to sin 
or choose not to sin. And then there's the fourth stage of man, where Christ comes back, restoring true humanity, judging the world, and we are made perfect because we have been in Christ and are in Christ. We can no longer sin. So stage one, we can choose to sin or choose not to sin. Stage two, we can only sin. Stage three, we can choose to sin or choose not to sin. Stage four, we cannot sin. So what stage are you in? If you're a Christian, you're currently in stage three. You're free to sin, but you can, you're free not to sin, but you can also still sin. It was always hard, these fifth century theologians. Paul sums up this state of the inner battle profoundly, though, elsewhere in the book of Romans. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want. I do the very thing I hate. We know this, right? How traumatic is this in our own experience as Christians? Take heart. This inner battle is actually a sign of someone with the Holy Spirit residing within them. Be encouraged. It is walking by the Spirit that will enable us to pursue God's intention for our lives and not to pursue the desires of flesh time and time again. When Paul says, walk by the Spirit and not by the flesh, he is telling us to contend in that inner battle, not avoid it. Verse 13 of our passage. Do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. We are free from the law for our righteousness. But by the Spirit, we are free to live a new way, at one after Christ's own example. Paul is being exceptionally clear and telling you about the freedom you have in the law that you have in Christ. But do not think that this gives you a liberty to walk according to the flesh. So we're all in this inner battle. But what happens during battles? There are casualties. This is also at the heart of Paul's message here. How we as Christians live out our faith together in community. So quite often as you read through Paul, you'll see this common theme that he's a two-point man. One, who, how do we understand who Christ is and what he has done for us? And secondly, what does that mean for us living out as community of believers? If we are not waging war on sin, we will, through that laxity, be waging war on each other. Verse 13 again, rather serve one another humbly in love. If we are sinning to our flesh's content and not contending in this inner battle against sinfulness, the reality is we will not just be sinning against God, which is serious enough, but we'll also be sinning against each other. We will cause harm to one another, sometimes eternal harm. Verse 15, if you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. Let us here in Blackwood and Kirkmuir Hill be a community that by walking in the spirit, we are waging war against the flesh so that we might serve one another humbly and love and love one another well, and not be a community in which we bite, devour, and consume one another. The inner battle, first point. The inner change, our second point, the inner change. So we've seen that to walk by the Spirit, there is that inner battle contending against the flesh. We're not to live lives marked out 
by the desires of the flesh. The list that Paul gives is graphic. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envies, drunkenness, orgies. Yet where there is a risen Christ, a spirit residing within, there is hope. Paul shows us not only our past reality, but also our future reality as well. What is walking by the Spirit? A lifelong transformation to become more like the Jesus who saved us. And what does becoming more like Jesus look like? Just like the kind of living that Paul describes. Reading also verses 13 through 14 and 22 through 24. Paul states, Serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. He continues, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Let's look to Christ, this Christ that we are talking about. Let's look to him now. We have numerous examples of Jesus in his ministry exampling these fruits of the Spirit. In Luke 10, Jesus anoints 72 of his followers to go out, heal, and preach the gospel. When they return, the text says in verse 21, In that same hour, he, Jesus, rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. What do we see here? Jesus Christ, the pinnacle of true humanity, rejoicing. We see his joy. We see his love. We see his faithfulness. All marks of what it is to walk by the Spirit. He said of himself in Matthew 11, when calling the weary to find rest in him, for I am gentle and lowly of heart. Again, Jesus, gentle and loving. He is walking by the Spirit. On countless occasions, he was patient with his disciples when they were found wanting, with James and John in their frustrations, with Peter in his restoration, with Thomas in his doubt. Jesus, time and time again, is patient. Another of Paul's marks of one who walks by the Spirit. In fact, it's a useful study, and I would encourage everyone here to do it. If you are looking through the Gospels in your daily readings, look at Christ and note when he exemplifies one of these fruits of the Spirit. It will fill your heart with awe of the Christ who came to save you. And this, this is who we are being transformed into. But how does this affect our community life? For example, I don't know if any of you are gardeners, but if you water a shriveled plant in a garden, dry, brown, almost dead, you will not only change that plant, which grows and blooms again, you will change the entire garden by the effect of that new life. The plant with its beautiful flowers will have an impact on the whole area. When we ourselves walk by the Spirit, it has a similar effect on our church community. We're changed as individuals. The Holy Spirit is sanctifying us to become more like Christ. But this individual change affects how we interact and the whole church that we are part of. 
This was Christ's posture towards those he came into contact with. Then the challenge of Paul remains, will this be our posture towards those in our community? Verse 14 from today's passage. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbour as yourself. It's a call to have that posture towards others as Christ had, towards those in our family and church relationships, but also beyond that, outside of our family and church relationships. All of these relationships present challenges in loving one another, do they not? But we're called to produce fruit by walking in the Spirit, both in the ease of loving one another and in the battle of loving one another. We must walk by the Spirit, relying on the Holy Spirit's influence in our day-to-day interactions, pursuing the things that Christ himself that we've seen so exemplified. But what gets in our way? Remember Augustine's state of man? We're still in stage three. When we sin, let us repent quickly to one another. But beyond that, let us go on quickly to grant forgiveness to one another when it is asked for. Let us be a community that walks by the Spirit, binding up the wounded, not causing more wounds. Then Paul, after showing us this heavenly order of how we should interact with one another in love, states against such things there is no law. Paul knows the Gentile believers did not live historically by the Jewish moral code before they became Christians. The battle here was that they didn't use their justification as license to sin. But Paul juxtaposes this problem beautifully by saying there is no law against the outworkings of walking by the Spirit. This is true for all of us, Jew or Gentile. So therefore, we must show Christian love in excess. Joyful in excess. Be patient continually. Be peaceful constantly. Be filled with goodness and gentleness. Our faithfulness and self-control should be visible to those around us, coming from a gratitude towards Christ. There is no law against these things. We should praise God that we are not alone in contending in the inner battle. The Holy Spirit is in us and with us. We should also praise God for the rest of our days in this stage three of man, that the Holy Spirit is sanctifying us to become more and more like Christ. The interchange. There is no turning back. Our third and final point, there is no turning back. We have our final two verses, 25 and 26. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. In the body of the chapter, do these not seem a little out of place? Do they not more naturally sit with verse 15? No, Paul doesn't make a mistake. He knows about our human nature, that we are imbalanced. Remember the concern here as verse 25, since we live by the Spirit. Do the Galatian churches need reminding that it is the Spirit who first gave them life? Following on from what we referred to earlier in Galatians chapter 3. Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, you are now being perfected in the flesh? Paul is seriously reaffirming the primacy of the true gospel of Christ. 
and ensuring that we do not rely on a Christ plus works gospel. We should be in so in awe that all of our interactions and actions flow from walking in the Spirit. Also, let's reflect on Paul's wording, conceited, provoking, and envying. Paul gives us a grid how to evaluate how we, our own lives reflect the Christ that we claim to follow. Verses 22 and 23, over and against verses 17 and 21. And we cannot deny that walking by the Spirit requires effort from us. Not to gain salvation, which is done by Jesus Christ alone, but in response to our love for him, it does require us to provide effort. John Calvin comments, If we obey the Spirit, we must labour and fight and apply our utmost energy, and we must begin with self-denial. We must labour and fight, apply our utmost energy. The life of the Spirit and the life of the flesh are utterly opposed to each other. Remember, the Holy Spirit is given to us by Christ. We are to walk in step with the Spirit. Jesus sends the Holy Spirit to help us and he will be with us forever. The Spirit reminds us of Christ and points us towards our need for Christ. So, if from this passage, in the list of sins that are in conflict with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit here and now is convicting any of us of a sin. Let us hear it, be submissive to his instruction, repent and pray for God's help in dealing with the sin that still lingers. And then go about being diligent in our effort of pursuing holiness. Then Paul is being careful. He knows the church is bent towards legalism. He wants to ensure that their good works, their outworkings of response to Jesus does not just become another new self-opposed law. He doesn't want them to scale themselves, envying one another on how loving they are, missing the point entirely. He doesn't want the grids to become a spiritual bingo for their own pride, because that again is relying on oneself, on works, and not Christ. That is a Christ plus works false gospel. Once again, the true gospel of Christ is for freedom and for joy, no more pain. So let us rely not on our processes, but rely solely on Christ. Remembering one of Paul's key concerns is the community of believers and their true fellowship. Envying and being full of conceit will only lead to provoking harm and hurt. It's the opposite of Paul's teaching in Philippians 2. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, Count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. We must count each other as more significant than ourselves. It's an upside-down way that the world would be confused by this teaching. The selflessness that is here is another aspect of walking by the Spirit. To walk in this kind of posture with one another. Are we walking by the Spirit in our fellowship here? As in verse 12 of our passage, are we looking for every single opportunity to through love serve one another? We know that there's a certain future when Christ returns and all sin will be wiped away. And we will move into that fourth state of man where we cannot sin and we look forward to our true harmony with one another then. 
But until then, Paul's exhortation for us is to apply effort in walking in the Spirit, loving each other well. And yes, that still will come with a law of repentance towards each other. And we will also have to continue to forgive one another. There's no turning back. So, we know that there's a real spiritual inner battle. And that's a sign that you are a Christian, not otherwise. We are in that third state of man. We are being sanctified by the Spirit while still battling the flesh. There will be a time when we move into that fourth state of man where sin is no more and we look forward to that being a true reality where Christ restores true humanity. But until then, we rely on the true gospel of Christ, never a Christ plus works gospel. There is no turning back. We thank God for this, and we continue to rely on Christ for our salvation. Christ has saved us, brothers and sisters. In love for this fact, we are to diligently walk by the Spirit and pursue holiness through his strength, not our own, for the sake of Christ and for the sake of his church. For we are called to walk by the Spirit. Amen. Let us pray to our God and King. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you. We thank you for this teaching. Lord, we know that if we were to try and apply this teaching to ourselves in our own strength, it would be work in vain. But no, when we rely on Christ, when we rely on the Holy Spirit changing us from the inside out, Lord, there is hope. We pray that we go from here and that we change the way that we live to be one that honours you for the love that you first showed us. Be with us in the rest of our service. In Jesus Christ's name, amen.